2: Well, hello there and welcome back in. We have concluded the college football season. We now know the NFL playoff lineup for the wildcard weekend. And we have much to discuss on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. You read him all the time. Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis. Back aboard with plenty of news items here in January, plenty of ratings information and more. John, how you feeling coming off of the second
3: weekend of January? How are things? Um, well, you know, uh, just um, moving right along, right? Year is uh, nearly over. <laughs> right
2: the football year nearly over even though this year has just begun and the college football season is concluded uh, by the way we should make mention however you found this podcast social media link uh, whether you found it through john's site sportsmediawatch.com easiest way to get it is to follow or subscribe apple podcast spotify google podcast wherever you get podcasts spreaker uh, stitcher etc the sportsmediawatch.com podcast is out there it's available just find it And follow it or subscribe, it comes automatically to you. So the college football season did end back on a Monday night in Indianapolis with the Georgia Bulldogs avenging their loss in the SEC title game, defeating Alabama and winning the latest national title for the SEC. We knew an SEC team would win it. It's now a third different one. LSU two years ago, Alabama last year, and now Georgia. The three of them in a row different in succession. Georgia wins And we've got a lot to get to on this, I guess. First of all, for you, John, did you catch some of the broadcast, most of the broadcast? If so, did you have any thoughts on the broadcast of of college football's final game of the year and biggest game of the year?
3: Well, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I watched it. Obviously, it's the national title game. You tune in for that. Uh, I, I thought the team of Fowler and Herb Street was solid. You know, I mean... Realistically, we're never getting back to the Keith Jackson days. So in the absence of that, I think Fowler and Herbstreet were, you know, I mean, they've established themselves as the voices of college football in this era, you know, and uh, uh, for people of the past, that would have been Keith Jackson, might have been Musburger, might have been, you know, Nestler, Dan Fouts in there on the analyst side. But, you know, uh, I think now they're pretty well identified with college football I thought it was a, a solid broadcast. I thought the moment of the uh, the weird fumble recovery was well done and well covered. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, Holly Rowe was good as usual. Uh, she's never gotten the chance to do the title game before, which is ridiculous because she was always their best sideline reporter on college football, even when she didn't have the role. Uh, and, uh, you know, McGrath was okay. Uh, you know, it was It was solid. It was, uh, you know, it was, uh, I mean, if I were grading it, would I give it an A plus? Yeah, maybe not an A plus, but it'd be, uh, you know, uh, a solid uh, A.
2: Yeah. All right. And and they did a great job with the storytelling as the game went on of Stetson Bennett, the former walk-on quarterback who dreamed of playing for Georgia. It's Georgia's first national title in five decades, 41 years since Herschel Walker. Can I be that old that they had won one? So they did a great job with tears in Stetson Bennett's eyes on the sideline with all the weight and the pressure off of him. So you had a lot of that with the storylines and Georgia being back. Uh, So that was good. From a rating standpoint, you wrote about this on the site. It was expected because it's two SEC teams and because the title game was so far detached from the New Year's Eve semifinals that the audience wasn't going to be great. John, put it in context, put it in perspective about the numbers that ESPN uh, got for the championship game.
3: Well, you know, there's two different ways to looking at sports TV ratings, right? You can look at the historical context, the historical context is really flattering because as you go further back, television is different and people are watching in greater numbers. But the reality is that this game had 6 million fewer viewers than the same matchup four years ago. And, you know, four years isn't that long for a period of time, although TV has changed a lot just in that period of time. So, you know, obviously 22 million viewers, 22.6 million is a tremendously high number. A 12.1 rating is a tremendously high rating, but this is college football's national championship game. And when the playoffs started, the bar was set at 28 million for the semis and 34 million for the title game, and it's never managed to meet that bar since. I don't think anyone realistically expected that in the playoff era, the title game would be less of a draw than it was, you know, in the weakest years of the BCS. I don't think anybody really expected that these would be the numbers that you would see. Now granted, no one could have anticipated COVID and the associated shifts. A lot of people could have uh, could have anticipated the change in, in in the the cable, you know, landscape. Mm-hmm. ESPN's in fewer than 80 million homes. When the playoffs started, no one would have thought that ESPN would be in fewer than 80 million homes by now, right? But uh, ultimately, the numbers are what they are excellent by any standard, except for the standard of the college football playoff national championship. And by that standard, they're mediocre, uh, quite low, you know, not particularly impressive. But I mean, it's basically where, you know, the the way we judge a player like LeBron, where, you know, he has thirty. 30 points in nine straight games, but the Lakers aren't winning. So you kind of say, "Eh, well, (laughs) you know, and uh, you ignore the fact that he's 37 years old doing that. And other than the
2: NFL, we keep making mention of this. This was the second biggest thing. I mean, to have 20, 25 million or more watching it's bigger than anything else on TV period, much less sports TV. We got to keep that part in perspective as well.
3: Yeah, according to ESPN, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade did better, and that's it on all of TV. I'm frankly surprised the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade did better. Uh, and I, honestly, you know, ESPN says that was the number one game, but when I looked at the numbers, the live broadcast of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was slightly lower. Uh, I think it's the encore, when you add that, that makes it higher. Although, if you add in the CBS broadcast, maybe that makes a difference too.
2: Sure. And so uh, yeah, I get what you're saying on that, because the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade um, is a live event leading into live uh, football on a national holiday. In this case, this was a Monday night, which yep. is what everybody's argument is. Just a couple more on this. Uh, there are some I saw Richard Deitch put this out there. There are some that, that believe the lesser number is somehow attributed to the semifinal games being on New Year's Eve afternoon and, and New Year's <laughs> Eve. I don't, I'm going to go ahead and taint you and say, I don't buy that. Do you buy the disconnect being somehow or mostly related to that on a lesser number?
3: I don't think it's the disconnect. I don't think it's the gap. I think it is, though, the New Year's Eve, because ultimately the semifinals, when the semifinals do well, the championship does better. And when the semifinals don't do well, the championship does worse. That's my general, you know, that's, you, know, you look at the two biggest uh, national championships of this era, right? And they were both in years where the semifinals were really strong at the Rose and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, that would be uh, Georgia, Alabama, the last time they played. That was a year when the semis were on New Year's Day and did really well. And then obviously the first year. Uh, every other year, I mean, think about it. Those first two years, or the first two years of the New Year's Day semis, so 2015 and 2018, the semis were way stronger than any other year and the national championship, both times, was over twenty-eight million. No other year this format has the national championship been over twenty-six million. So that tells me there's some impact there. Uh, and if you look, you know, the last two years the semis have been particularly anemic. Last year, even though it was the Rose and Sugar with COVID, it was you know we know it wasn't really worth anything. Uh, and the, the Rose, you know, wasn't in Pasadena like normal, and the Sugar was obviously. Uh, I think 25 people were let into the building in New Orleans, so ultimately, you know, it was not a very good, uh, not a very good performance. And we saw the national championship numbers were, were terrible by college football standards. So I, I think, in general, uh, if you want a really strong number for the national championship, you need the semis to be on New Year's Day, or you need to have a really outsized strong performance. Like if you go back a couple of years. Clemson, Ohio State, twenty million plus. I think the only non-New Year's Day semi to top twenty million. I might be wrong about that. And then the national championship was solid twenty five point six million. So that's what you're going to need to have happen.
2: And I would submit a couple of things. The the games were whitewashes. They were they were blowout games, which we know. So that decreases in the interest. The game Monday night, by the way, became a boring game by and large by halftime. And if you're not a vested. Alabama or Georgia fan a lot of people uh, in the northeast probably went to bed etc you're going past 10 10:30 at halftime uh by the time that Katy Perry debuted her her video etc and a 9-6 game isn't going to captivate people as much on that you have a thought on that
3: you know what they should do because I've been thinking for a while you know this Monday night I was watching the game with someone who doesn't follow sports and they asked me is this a big game I said, well, yeah, it's the national championship. And then they said on a random Monday night in January, right? <laughs> you know, it just it didn't come off like it would be a big game. But I think the big thing with the Monday championship is it follows a full weekend of the NFL. Typically in past years, it would be wildcard weekend, which is really bad. Like last year, the national championship was the seventh football game in 72 hours because you had these super wild. A right. Weekend. Right. Uh, this year it followed the week 18 games, and it was, I think, I think there were actually there were seven week 18 windows, actually. So it was the eighth football game in 72 hours. It beat all those week 18 games. But what they need to do is move the national championship to the Friday night. Now, they've only ever had the one Friday night national championship, and it was a real it was a doozy, it was Ohio State and Miami. And mm-hmm. that was the one that had 29 million viewers on ABC. And, you know, obviously that's hundred million years ago. And certainly from a TV perspective, Don't the
2: networks and the sports in particular have a phobia
3: about Friday night. Would that be they, a huge roadblock? They do, but get over it. Right. Because here's a simple fact. Friday night is not what it used to be because of out of home. Right. And by the way, it is worth noting Without of home viewing, and especially since Nielsen has apparently corrected whatever mistake that they were making, you know that says that without the out of home, who knows where Georgia-Alabama's viewership would have been. But without of home viewing, Friday nights are not as scary anymore as they used to be. Right? Uh, you can get solid numbers on a Friday night. Saturday nights might be more of a stretch. Uh, maybe not for college football because of the tradition, but Saturday nights are still fairly tough, as we saw in the NBA finals. But Friday night, you can get a good audience on a Friday night. Uh, the World Series has done okay on Friday nights lately, uh, and I think that it would be a really smart idea to be the first game of a packed football weekend, not the last one. Good so argument. So instead of being the you know at the tail end of a full weekend of NFL games, you're the first game of the weekend, Friday night, kind of a festive night. Uh, it's you know people are. I don't know, I guess out of bars, watching the game, you know, assuming there's, you know, not the uh, Zeta variant or whatever. (laughs) It's going to be next year. Uh, So, um, you know, look, uh, I I think that would be the way to go Uh, the uh, Friday night national championship, or alternatively, you could go really wild with it. I think the other way to do it is the new year's day national championship which would necessitate putting the semis probably the week after the Army-Navy game, uh, which I think would be, you know, probably a really good idea from the standpoint of, I mean, the semis would suffer in terms of ratings, but the semis are suffering in terms of ratings anyway. I don't think the semifinal ratings is going to be dramatically lower on December 19th than they are on New Year's Eve, Right. And then that allows ESPN to have the ultimate triple header. You put one bowl game on at, you know, one, then the Rose bowl leading into the national championship game. I think there would be a lot of value in that. Uh, Now, you know, uh, they probably would want to uh, keep the semis close to new year's, but if you're not going to get the semis on new year's day, then I don't see any point. Just put them a week after army Navy, Uh, if, if the, if the bowls don't want to be on that early, if the orange bowl is saying, Hey, I don't want to be on in the middle of December, then, you know, maybe you just make the semi standalone games and you put the other bowl games as just regular bowl games again.
2: All right. A lot of complication with ESPN being involved again. They're very married to Monday night with Monday night football and they've now gotten a Monday night NFL playoff game that will happen for the first time ever this coming weekend. We're about to talk about that in a second. That's a big reason why that championship game has been slotted in the college football playoff scheduling on a Monday night uh, for ESPN. And I would submit one more thing too. Um, When everybody compares, I'm not saying just you, but anybody, when everybody compares to the first year of the college football playoff in 2014, uh that that was one of those perfect storms it's the first one so there's automatically going to be some intrigue. the lead-in on new year's day was the two heisman trophy winners and presumptive top two picks in the following nfl draft Jameis winston in florida state marcus mariota in oregon in the picturesque setting of the rose bowl and oregon by the way transcends just like usc everything else in the west so you had a perfect storm lead in to two brand names, Alabama and Ohio State on the holiday. I, it's tough to say never. I, I joke, John, you'll love this. I, I stay away from words like never, always. You better be careful with the three words. I love you when they're all together. Be careful of all those words. I would, I would be, be hesitant to say never. They were never going to get that kind of perfect storm again to create that kind of audience. So to judge going back to that, it was never going to be that that much altogether in the first time, I don't think. Now you can compare it to the other ones. That's just me saying that uh, because it was incredible, incredible attention around the first ever playoff and around those matchups for the reasons uh, that I gave. All right, so I want to call, cover one more subject because we've got to move along to other things. So Jamison Williams is the outstanding Alabama receiver. Long line of Alabama receivers. It's probably going to be the latest to end up being drafted in the first round. We don't know now that he has injured his knee in this game Monday night very horrifically on a long pass, went down, knee buckled immediately, crumbled to the turf. I believe he would still be a first-round pick. Certainly, it's not a guarantee now after the injury. He can't participate in any of the pre-draft stuff, any of the workouts, whatever. We don't know, John, what it has cost the Alabama wide receiver. What I do know is this, after all the controversy of Kirk Herbstreit taking his stances about whether guys should play in this game or not, and I fully understand this is the national title game. That's a different argument than bowl games that aren't the semifinal of the national title game. But for Kirk Herbstreit to not even mention that this is a horrible thing, he went completely mute the other night on this is a horrible thing for Jamison Williams' future, and for his possible NFL stock, I your thought, please, on that. That's just me observing that. What is your thought on that?
3: Well, I think Kirk was probably making a business decision, which is, you know, I don't want my name and opinion anywhere near this, right? Uh, and ultimately, you know, I've said before, I mean, nobody cares that anybody on Twitter has to say about anything, which is to say that all the heat that Kirk took on Twitter, this of the 22.6 million viewers for that game, 22.5 million didn't even know about it. So why wade into it and just you know, link your opinion to that moment? Uh, And I think for Kirk, it was it was a business decision. It was, you know, where's my 10 foot pole? You know, and beyond anything else, honestly, I do think it would have been maybe a little bit of bad taste for him to say, "Well, you know, this person's calamity is happening. Let me insert myself into this and talk about my views, and you know how this coheres with what I think." And you know, I mean, I don't think it was a a bad thing. I mean, look, we're not watching. I'm not. I'm not saying. Okay, so let me let me rephrase what I am
2: saying. I'm not saying that he should have gone on and on, but I think he should have at least acknowledged that this is a young man that was probably going to be a top 15 pick if not a top 10 pick and more than likely going to turn pro after this championship game and probably still will and as the analyst at the highest level being paid a ton you're paid to give your insight and your opinion and so I would not have had any problem with him saying this is an awful thing for Jamison Williams's future uh, that he has just gone down in the national title game with an ACL injury that could affect the rest of his career. To give no opinion on that, you can tell where I'm coming from on that. No, I mean, I
3: think, I think you make a fair point. I think you make a fair point. I would just say that, you know, maybe he didn't think it was the time and place. I mean, remember when he was saying all that stuff about players the other day, he wasn't saying it on the Rose Bowl broadcast. He said it on game day, right? And that might have been a place where, you know, that's the studio show format. You tune into game day for Kirk Herbstreit's opinions, you don't tune into the game for them. You don't tune into the game for Joe Testator's opinions either, which, you know, I think mm-hmm. maybe Joe should have thought about that during the Sugar Bowl broadcast. Look, we just want to watch the game, right? That's what people always say. We just want to watch the game. And, you know, uh, whatever Kirk Herbstreit's opinions are about whether players should be playing or not, you know, I mean, save that, maybe save that for game day.
2: It's a good point you bring up. Thank you for jogging me on that, because I I didn't even get a chance to talk with you about it. But you bring up a great point that in the Sugar Bowl broadcast, also on ESPN, where Matt uh, Corral, the uh, Ole Miss quarterback, got hurt. And Corral may very well be a number one pick. We don't know for sure. And it was not a season-ending type injury, devastating injury. It was an ankle injury. Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy talked endlessly about his commitment to play in the sugar bowl and wanting to play in it. And what will it do to his future? And he got it. He got McElroy's opinion even on what do you think this will do to his future for the NFL and blah, blah, blah. They went on and on about it is what your point is uh, there as well, as well on the opinion.
3: And, you know, look, I, I don't know what Mike Green thinks about anything. I don't know what Marv Albert thinks. I don't know what Kevin Harlan thinks. I don't know what Joe Buck thinks. And I like Joe Tessitore, but I don't know why I should know what Joe Tessitore thinks, because this is a play-by-play role, right? I mean, it's, you know, that's just not what it's about. Call the game. Call the game.
2: Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, Speaking of that, good transition as we talk with John Lewis here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Love his insight. Check out the site, SportsMediaWatch.com. And again, uh, you'll find us coming out regularly here off the weekend on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Off of that weekend, uh, we did have the final week 18 of the NFL, as you alluded to. And I actually uh, got the privilege to broadcast on short notice the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Carolina Panthers game on Buccaneers radio, our play by play man, the Hall of Fame voice he's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame now as a broadcaster as well. Gene Deckerhoff uh, for his work on Florida State. He's done Buccaneer games now for 33 seasons. Uh, Gene tested positive. So because of COVID-19 protocols could not be uh, at the game on Sunday. So I filled in there nationally on CBS. Many of the fans uh, did not hear Jim Nance, obviously with Tony Robo on the CBS coverage of Buccaneers Panthers. They heard Tom McCarthy. Of, uh, of CBS, who by all accounts, and I heard some of the highlight clips did well, I spoke to Tom before the game and kind of looked at him and said, you and I are, we're standing there with masks on John Lewis in the Buccaneers Raymond James Stadium press box. I said, you and I are kind of in the same boat here. I'm keeping a Hall of Famer seat warm. You're keeping another Hall of Famer seat warm uh, for the broadcast. So we had a moment there. Um, I just thought I would share that So uh, give me your opinion on week 18 and all the tremendous drama, especially in the late afternoon, as it turns out the 49ers Rams game with playoff bearing overtime drama, the Steelers and Ravens earlier in the day, overtime drama, and then good Lord, the Chargers and Raiders had about an hour and a half of incredible drama of who's going to win or are they going to tie in this game? And they both would benefit from a tie. What are your thoughts on the conclusion to the NFL on TV, the ratings, et cetera, John?
3: Well, I would start by saying that I actually I don't believe the ratings for ESPN on Saturday. And when I say I don't believe them, I'm not saying, oh, wow, those ratings are amazing. I mean, I genuinely don't believe them. I don't think 19.1 million viewers are watching Chiefs Broncos at 4.30 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, given what we've seen for NFL ratings everywhere else. And part of the reason why I don't believe it is because we know that Nielsen has been kind of screwing up for a while. And it's just a farcically high number, 19.1 million for the Chiefs against the Broncos, 4.30 p.m. Even by the NFL standards, that's too high. So ultimately, you know, Nielsen, there's always an element of pretend, right? Uh, We're talking about, anytime you're talking about, hey, 25.664 million viewers watched the game, you know, that's not really the exact number. But uh, you are asking me to believe something that doesn't make any sense, which is that ESPN ABC got, you know, 19 and 20 million viewers for two meaningless Saturday games no I I don't buy it
2: okay and then again uh, as you mentioned the Sunday night game Raiders and Chargers could have could not have been more dramatic how did it how did it do relative to end all of it because it had obviously a great lead-in of tremendously exciting games on both CBS and Fox leading to the final game of the night and it was a uh, essentially win and you're in playoff game how did it do relative Chargers Raiders on NBC
3: it was, uh, it was so-so. It was fewer viewers than Vikings-Packers the previous week, slightly. Which, wow. you know, again, I mean, you know, maybe Nielsen reported that one in underestimating the audience. I don't know. But uh, it, it was not the kind of number that it seemed. That might have been one of those succession-type games where social media really loves it and nobody else cares, right? So, you know, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, the, the number was. You uh, mean
2: Succession, the show, which I yeah. happened to watch. I got the reference if everybody else didn't get the reference there. Yes.
3: Exactly. Succession. I'll, I'll mention a show I like. Curb is probably in the same exact boat, right? Your Enthusiasm. But uh, ultimately, these are games that seemed, when you were watching them, seemed when you were following it on social media, like they would. I would throwable. think
2: that last hour with the fourth quarter and the overtime had to have a huge uptick. And I know that a lot of that's the Eastern time zone and a lot of people are going to bed on Sunday night. But they they went well past midnight. And I would think Central time zone except had to be going crazier with the audience on that just because of all the drama, John. But did it not necessarily translate in the final hour?
3: Uh, I actually don't know where it peaked. Uh, I don't know what the the peak number was, uh, but uh, I'm surprised. Educated speculation
2: is it had to, it had to have gone because so many times there are people that weren't watching the game. They get notified on social media, somebody contacts them or they stumble on and they go, Holy cow, this is now a one score game. I'm now watching. And the overtime took 30 minutes to play out with whether somebody was going to win or somebody was going to tie. So logically you would think a lot more people were watching, let's say, between about 11 11, 11.15 Eastern and about 12, 12.15 12, a.m. Eastern time when the game got over right in prime time in the West. And, and the Raiders, again, are a love-hate team on the West Coast uh, that was involved, much more so than the Chargers. So yeah. I would have to think, yes, that the, that the peak was a little higher on that. But that's just me. And again, you're saying yeah. who knows with Nielsen, right? right. Exactly at this point all right let's move on we've got to get to it here towards the end of the podcast here we go love it or leave it subject number one you have written about on sportsmediawatch.com and michelle tofoya has now made it official that her last broadcast will be super bowl 56 for nbc so on the love it or leave it thing here it's been kind of ambiguous is she leaving on on her terms is she going somewhere else do you think michelle tofoya will leave it. We'll leave as a sideline reporter, or will she be doing something else? Maybe with Amazon on the Thursday night game or whatever. What's your opinion, and what do you know, John? What do you think?
3: It seems like she wants to do more stuff like The View. Based on the conference call yesterday, uh, she indicated that she felt like there, that she wanted to have more airtime on The View. Uh, And she enjoyed being able to talk about all the things that most of us hate talking about. For whatever reason, she seems to enjoy that. Uh, And uh, when asked directly if that was something she wanted to do, she was very coy about it. So I would imagine that, you know, she's going to go and uh, descend into political talk. I don't know. Hey, you know. Whatever, whatever someone wants to do, it's probably better because, you know, Michelle DeFoy is a family person, right? I mean, she left the NBA job to spend more time with her family. And that was a big job. That's how Doris Brooke got in on the sidelines for the NBA finals. It's Michelle DeFoy left. Uh, And uh, if 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 going into the cesspool of the view and that type of programming allows her more family time, then that's great. Uh, Personally, I I can't imagine why anyone would want to cover you know, public affairs and and politics in that kind of fashion, rather than Mm -hmm. sports. But, you know, I mean, look, Tafoya has been a conservative a long time. She's, you know, everyone knows she's conservative. She's been on uh, Minnesota radio before. She, you know, she seems to always kind of dabble a little bit. And look, the last two years have been a major, uh, a major thing for a lot of people. And if you, if you feel like you want to talk about those issues, hey, you know, all power
2: to her, I guess. And one more aspect to this, and I can identify with this because of the travel, et cetera, the commercial air travel has become a bigger and bigger nightmare, et cetera. I don't know how often they are using private aircraft with NBC at the highest level, but after you've been doing this for a year or three years or five years, I can totally get where, Every Sunday night or Monday morning, you're trying to figure out how do I get back and go on with my week before we start this again. And after you've done it, I'm not. I'm not saying that this is the same thing as people that work in roofing in the Florida sun in the summertime. It is not, it's not the same people that have to clear John, the snow with the snow plows and the trucks in the wintertime. I get it. It's not digging ditches. It's not sanitation work. This is first world problems we're talking about, but I can understand where the grind would get to you after a few years of traveling. Keith Jackson talked about this, by the way, while we digress for just one second, that if it was just as simple as do the game that he would do that forever, But, but he retired basically because he was tired of the air travel week to week to week, smaller college town. Where's the hotel? How do we get out? Flight delays that after year 10, year 15, year 18, it wears on you. So even when one of the greats is talking about that, Uh, you can tell that it can get to you. And maybe that's part of that with her. She has been doing this for so long on ESPN and NBC with that weekend grind. Let's do something else. Let's do something else. That's maybe a little more stable where I go to one location and I'm there for all five days of the week and that's it, or three days of the week or whatever that is, or can do it remotely. I don't know, but just one more time. Do you think she's done as a sideline reporter? Do you think she's back at some point in the next year or two or what's your educated guess?
3: I don't know. I mean, I get the sense she's a lot like Bob Costas in a way where, you know, she can just drop an assignment and then just move on. Like, you know, uh, a lot of people wouldn't drop that NBA job. She dropped it. Uh, I will say that uh, being the lone conservative on the view can by no means be less unpleasant (laughs) than air travel. Uh, There is no way. Uh, uh, And uh, as far as Keith Jackson goes, I'm sure you remember by the end, he was only doing those Pac-12 games. He the would west not Coast travel. Yeah, uh, that's part of the reason I imagine why ABC had that rotation of announcers for the national championship.
2: And it's good that you prompted
3: me to remember this. Mike
2: Emmerich, for the last two or three years pre the COVID shutdown, was not traveling out of the eastern and central time zone. He was not doing games in the west, uh, he, even even uh, the playoffs. They basically kept him in the east and then the Stanley Cup finals. He would travel. And when you've earned that. When you've earned that status, you can you can make that call. We need to move on. Another subject. Love it or leave it. And this one is the NBA. I think John Lewis is loving him an NBA team and wants to see. I'm not saying loving in the rooting sense, but loving what they're looking like in the viewership sense. And that's my hometown. I'm not a big Memphis Grizzlies guy. I don't watch them that much. I'm more into Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers basketball team, my college, my school. But I think you're loving you some potential for television ratings and audience around the Memphis Grizzlies. And you want to see how that's going to pan out as we go along. What do you think?
3: Well, I wouldn't say that I'm loving it. It's more like I'm curious to know what's going to happen because, you know, this is Memphis. Uh, The Grizzlies have won 10 straight games, and these are not the grit and grind Grizzlies who only a basketball fan could love. It's John Morant, uh, explosive, high-flying, a young, hungry team. Uh, They've got star power, but they play in Memphis. And, uh, you know, Kevin Durant made Oklahoma City a star attraction for many years, and LeBron James made Cleveland, the team people wanted to watch. It's going to be interesting if John Morant has the ability to make Memphis a watchable team because, frankly, the Grizzlies, to me, have as good a chance of getting to the NBA Finals as Phoenix did last year. And, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, if if you end up with Memphis in there at the end, this is, this is probably the time for that ESPN hype machine that is so consumed with hyping up Stephen A. Smith to start hyping up John Morant because he might be there in uh, May and June or, you know, God forbid, July and August, who knows? But, you know, whenever the NBA Finals happens, uh, a, good, might be. a good
2: reference point is Giannis and Milwaukee. Smaller market, hadn't won it in a long time. Uh, he has elevated them, and they are now of interest. They get a lot of national TV games. Milwaukee, probably similar TV market size to Memphis. Valid comparison?
3: And Milwaukee's a little bit bigger than Memphis in terms of market size. I will say Giannis is still not a draw. You know, this guy had 50 points in a finals clincher. He's still not a draw. You still aren't getting great numbers for Bucks games. Uh, you know, frankly, the Nets aren't even that big of a draw. Uh, you know, the NBA, is it's LeBron Steph, even even up to now. Uh, and that third team hasn't really emerged yet this season. Uh, so uh, the Bulls, now the Bulls, mm-hmm. that's a lot of and In fact, keep an eye on that Martin Luther King Day game. You know, the NFL has horned in on the NBA's territory at MLK Day. So TNT actually has an afternoon doubleheader on Martin Luther King Day. But the first of those two games is Chicago and Memphis. And I'm going to be really interested to see what that rating looks like for two of the most uh, promising young teams in the league.
2: And obviously the the Memphis angle with Martin Luther King and the franchise there and all of that and the Bulls had won. Have, have forgive me because I'm doing this off the top of my head. The Bulls won seven or eight in a row, and is the win streak still going on at the moment? So obviously they are on the rise to help promote that for the for the Monday game that's upcoming. Yeah. I know Chicago had won, I believe, eight in a row uh, with their the NBA. Is,
3: yeah, their streak is over, but uh, Memphis is actually one tenth straight. Uh, so but there you Chicago go. Lost to Dallas the other night.
2: There you go. All right. So that's coming on Monday. Uh, I believe we are coming to the end here of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast for another week. Again, wildcard weekend that we'll see games uh, on Saturday, Sunday, and the first ever Monday night. Do you have a, it is the Rams and the Cardinals, because before we get back here, do you have a prediction just real quick? on how the first ever Monday night wildcard playoff game might do will it excel will it kind of just be what like what the college football playoff championship game was or a typical Monday night game
3: what do you think I'm surprised the the NFL didn't give a better game for that because you know obviously ESPN ABC is always going to get one of the lower priority wildcard games but now that it's the Monday night the standalone game I actually figured you'd get a bit of a nicer matchup Arizona's been playing so poorly lately they look you know, not particularly formidable and the Rams, you know, eh, eh, no one really cares about the Rams. I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's not quite accurate. In I mean, the they get- West,
2: <laughs> in the West, it's a bigger deal. Yes. But it will, will this game translate in the Northeast? Will this game translate All in the right. South? That's what you're saying because it's a Western matchup on Monday night.
3: All right. I mean, they couldn't have given it. To, uh, as I think about it, they could not have given that game to Fox because Fox had the one o'clock window on, on Sunday. Unless Correct. they were to give Fox one of the Saturday windows, actually. Maybe they could have done that. But, you know, I mean, ultimately, uh, it'll be, I don't know how it'll work. I, I really genuinely have no idea what that rating's will like. Martin Luther King Day, uh, two Western teams. I, I just have no clue. That's going right. to be a wild guess for me.
2: And ESPN is hoping that it will do well. It's the first time they've ever done this. I know that we've done about as well as we can do on this edition. John Lewis, thank you as always for hanging here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Uh, I appreciate getting to sit here and host and go over all the opinions, and we encourage everybody to read the site. Thank you, sir. Hey, no problem. Thank you. And there's John Lewis. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, however you found the podcast, social media link, John site, SportsMediaWatch.com, follow or subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast, we'll come off the wild card weekend of the NFL with another edition and uh, off the Martin Luther King basketball games as well for the NBA, etc. More of that in the future. For now, we're done on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast.
0: Bye. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free.